6 o'clock in San Francisco. You are tuned in to BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. And this is The Listening Party with Kate. And Chris. And uh, you might have recognized that song. It's a little unusual for us, The Listening Party, to play something so familiar because typically our format is playing three brand new records that were just released and kind of discussing them, dissecting them, uh, you know, like Listening Party, and then playing some related tracks. But because January is such a slow release month, we decided to throw it back. We have to get a little creative in order to find material. And so we decided to see what came out in January 10 years ago, all the way back in 2006. This month, 10 years ago. This month, 10 years ago, um, you know, was... uh, a time with a very specific sound, it turned out. I couldn't remember off the top of my head what what was going on in music in 2006. And so we got on the, on the Wikipedia and hunted for releases from that month. And it uh, we're going to play for you some, some bands you may not have thought about in, in some time, including The Strokes, The Arctic Monkeys... And uh, maybe somebody that uh, has been more on the radar lately, uh, Robert Pollard from Guided by Voices. Yeah, um, I know that when I, six years ago, seems like forever ago, man. Ten years ago. Sorry, ten years ago. Why did I say six? Because it's 2006. Because it's 2006. That's what I mean. In 2006, I was, I was, I was in college. And I was kind of over my Strokes obsession phase. I was a huge Strokes fan in high school. Then I started working at the underground radio station at my college and was like, there's so much better music than the Strokes. So I remember being disappointed by this Strokes record when it was released, being really into the Arctic Monkeys record when it was released, And not really caring either way about Robert Pollard when this record came out. I I think I was like just discovering Guided by Voices and I was feeling overwhelmed with their catalog. So diving into any kind of solo work at that point was just not on my radar. Where where were you in 2006? I have have only a foggy recollection of 2006. I want to say I was out of school by then. Um, I do recall this Strokes album coming out because I had followed them, uh, you know, reasonably closely since they started out, and uh, I was a I was a pretty big supporter of theirs, uh, and I always I always felt like uh, they got kind of a an undue hard time in the media, like they just couldn't please anyone no matter what they did, and when this record came out, I remember thinking at the time, this is the best Strokes record. Now, I don't know that I necessarily maintain that opinion, but at the time, I thought it was the most ambitious and unique and, and interesting of their releases. Uh, the Arctic Monkeys, I thought, was kind of a crazy record that had two faces to it, and one of them I liked and one of them I didn't. Uh, and the Robert Pollard record, I, I was 
into Guided by Voices, but they had so many albums that I still hadn't gotten through yet that I just didn't have time to really investigate this one, and I never even bothered to listen to it at the time. When did you... So I listened to this first Impressions of Earth, like, the day it came out. Yeah. Same with the Arctic Monkeys, like, that was all over college radio. Um, When did you first listen to the Robert Pollard record? Had you listened to it before the show? I had listened to it before the show, um, but I probably didn't get around to listening to it until maybe two or three years at least after it came out. So it wasn't really like part of the fanfare of its release. Unless you have played this for me or put a song from this record on a mixtape for me, because Chris is real cute like that, you guys. Um, I have not listened to this record until the show. That was a fun fact there. I'm super cute. Chris is very cute. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean... This will be fun because it was it was really fun for me as a Strokes and an Arctic Monkeys fan at the time to re-listen to this now. And like Chris said, see kind of how dated this music sounds, which is really funny. Um, but then we've got a little pick-me-up here um, for a record that maybe you aren't as familiar with or didn't know all the lyrics to in college or didn't own a band t-shirt um, for. So we've got a good variety here on the listening party tonight. We do. So we're going to play some more Strokes songs from First Impressions of Earth, their third release, and uh, not critically acclaimed (laughs) record. Um, This one is Heart in a Cage by the Strokes on the listening party on BFF.fm.
tuned into the listening party on bff.fm the song that you just heard was vision of division before that razor blade and heart in a cage all from the strokes 
third album, First Impressions of Earth, originally released this month, 10 years ago, in 2006. Typically on our show, The Listening Party, we play three recent releases uh, from, from like right now, from the previous week. But since January is a slow month, we decided to have this be a throwback show Mm -hmm. where we pick a random year and this month and see what came out. And we landed on 10 years ago today, 2006. And uh, when we saw this Strokes record, we both knew we wanted to play this because we were both big fans of the Strokes when we were younger. Still are, I'd say. Um, and this record was a little divisive between the two of us. Between the two of us. I would say, like, culturally, by the time this came out, the Strokes were sort of beyond being divisive. I don't think they were really, like, in the cultural zeitgeist so much anymore. Uh, like, they never had another critically acclaimed record after their first, and their kind of super fans weren't going to desert them. So I feel like this was just, like one more for the catalog at that point. But I think this was like the final nail in the coffin. But because I, I, like for, I said, I remember thinking this was my favorite one well, when this was released. I just, I don't know why, because I just think that this record I don't know took why them either. In, I think this record kind of took them into like arena territory mm. where their first record seemed like they could just be like a band in a bar or a band in your basement or a band in your garage. And mm-hmm. so I think that they're production quality shifted their uh like the whole the whole tone of the band totally shifted and you saw that shift on their second album too um it was a lot more like digital sounding so it was it was quite a leap but this one i just thought took it into a really kind of like cock rock place Mm -hmm. like that last song vision of division was just so macho um I mean, it was a catchy song still, but just, like, really over the top um, with the drumming and with the, like, guitar shredding that that was still mechanical, but, like, didn't seem like that was its use there. It just seemed, like, really, like, seemed just yeah. really macho. So of- this, it, like, totally, it, it made me realize that, like, the Strokes were never going back, um, which I think they actually did a little bit more successfully in later albums. But this album, I think, is is just doesn't work for me. I think the problem with the Strokes is that their most defining characteristic is also the thing people like the least about them, and it's their mathematical precision. And I think that they just hadn't quite mastered it yet on their first album, and so it did have some rough edges, and it sounded a little raw, and people appreciated that, but that was never the band they wanted to be, and so they just kept developing more and more sort of robotic proficiency at their instruments and that just made them seem more and more cold as records went on and it it alienated fans and critics alike i disagree i don't know if that was their motive from the beginning but as bands play more and as bands are more successful and have more money they actually record in studios they get better at playing their instruments it's a little like what we uh witness with the kills chris and i are huge fans with the kills and love their first records because they're super raw super dirty and they feel really gritty but their later records are very hyper produced and you still feel that like really 
sexy vibe in the band, but their sound is completely different. And I argue it's not because, I mean, I don't know. I, I do think like when you read interviews with musicians and they you ask them maybe like Ty Siegel, for instance, like, man, you were so like raw at the beginning. Like now you're so clean and precise. Like what gives? A lot of the times their answer is like, I just didn't know how to play back then. And I do now. He's so, still really raw on everything other than manipulator. Well, but he does. But he, I mean, that record wasn't his first record. So he didn't come out maybe like Todd Rundgren, who was like a genius precision master, um, and just say like, "This is who I am." He had to learn, but and I. So I don't know. Like maybe that's the goal of all musicians is they like want to perfect their art. So maybe you have something to it, but I just don't see, I, at least I don't wish that that was, because to me, the strokes were an attitude thing and not a precision thing. I thought that that was just a detail that made them different. Yeah, I would, I would say not the case that it's not a matter of like a, like all bands getting better. Like it was always kind of like the key characteristic of the strokes was that like super fast guitar, like very like mathematical they just like weren't good enough to nail it on the first record, which people I think liked more. And so like, but the, as soon as they were able to accomplish what they seemed always to have defined themselves by, then they began to fail in people's eyes. Yeah. Also, it's hard sometimes when you when a guitar band moves into a more like digital sound, like how on Julian's first date, like first record solo record. I mean, that's like electronic. I mean, he did what he did uh, collaborations with Daft Punk. And like, the Lonely Island. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lonely Island, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's just such a far stretch. If you would play any kid who had never heard The Strokes, their first record, and you were like, predict where this kid goes. Like, you know, I would rather their progression be that of the Velvet Underground, which got a little bit more experimental and a little bit more personal, well, I don't know, a little bit more, I guess, I don't know. At, l- at least they got a little bit more experimental as time went on or or tried to explore the pop realm in, in their eyes. Um, but I think the Strokes just really kind of like flipped a switch and that's what th- this record was for me understanding that like this is the direction this band is going for the time being and it is not what i'm looking for so i stopped going to shows yeah they're still out there they're still putting them out are they i feel like together yeah they're they're basically a band like weezer now where they are never gonna get any new fans but the people who really love them would go on a cruise ship with them and they'll just keep putting out records that'll and tours that'll be successful with just those same diehard fans going again and again might be true what i want to know what you guys think which record of the strokes was your favorite did you hate the strokes were you more of a vines person (laughs) (laughs) if you want to out yourself as a vines person that's fine but we understand if you want to tweet that uh anonymously (laughs) um but yeah like this record just it's so weird that you think that you this is your favorite of the Strokes record. It, it, it was then. I don't think that I stand by that opinion. I think that 
the reason I thought that at the time was because it was it sort of felt like they're like no fucks given record when they were just gonna like stop trying to please fans and critics. Oh, also another tidbit about this record. This record has sixteen songs on it's it. It's way over long. And it is an hour, right? Oh, it's I, like no, an hour. It's no, pretty long. I think. It, we, I think we timed. We looked. It is. I think it's like an hour. And their first two previous records are like thirty minutes and under thirty minutes. Yeah. So another deterrent, in my opinion, was just the fact that there was zero editing or minimal mm. editing involved with this record, because if you sit a fan down with this like super hardcore sound that they're presenting here that doesn't let up really throughout yeah. the record and you give them 16 songs an hour of it when you're used to hearing it in a 30 minute spit like that's a lot to ask of people yeah so <laughs> yeah, we're not exploded. asking that of you don't worry we're not playing you an hour of this but we'll play you, um, we'll we'll play play you some, some more. more yeah yeah um including one song that sounds like coldplay or youtube could have sang it i think that's electric cityscape yeah, I, I mean, you can take that as a as a compliment or as a diss, I guess. Depending I mean, I on your think nature. it's like a both. Yeah, I legitimately think it's a both. But um, we're going to start off with a song "Ask Me Anything" by The Strokes from First Impressions of Earth, a record released ten years ago in January, on this throwback version of the Listening Party on BFF.fm. <laughs> Thank you. 
are tuned into the listening party on bff.fm best frequencies forever and you just heard red light by the strokes off of first impressions of earth before that evening sun electric cityscape and ask me anything all from the same album today on the show we're doing a throwback and chose 10 years ago uh this month 10 years ago and so that is when the strokes third album came out and uh it was entertaining yeah i think there's still some good stuff on there very catchy very fun nothing game changing Mm -mm. but it was great yeah uh we are gonna play a couple of related tracks uh to keep you in that throwback state of mind um one by the brand both british bands right or is razor light american no they're they're all british that's why yeah (laughs) When you said, no, nah, I was like, oh, I'm wrong. And then you confirmed what I said. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah, see? Um, yes, by two British bands. I shouldn't have second-guessed myself. Uh, one, Razor Light, and the other band, The Kooks. Uh, I say that weird. Can you say kooks without sounding weird? Kooks. That's weird. Yeah. Um, first up, Vice by Razor Light off of Up All Night on BFF.FM.
Tune into the listening party on BFF.FM, and those two very hook-heavy tracks we just played for you were The Kooks with Mr. Maker off of their second album, Conk, and before that, Razorlight with Vice off of their debut, Up All Night. Uh, some things in, in the uh, kind of time and, and not necessarily place, but I guess part of the same scene as the Strokes' First Impressions of Earth that we are just closing out there and uh, brings us on to our second album from January 2006, the debut by the Arctic Monkeys, a much-buzzed-about-at-the-time band entitled Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not. Now, I'm not sure if people still talk about this band at all or if they are still around even um it seemed like that was an era in british pop music where uh bands would explode on the scene uh and were absolutely assured to be the next big thing and the progenitors of a new scene and then very quickly they would never be heard from again i'm thinking of you the klaxons (laughs) um but 
th- and these guys may very well still be out there kicking out the jams, but they're they're not getting the press that they once did. I feel like their mid two thousands Vampire Weekend. Sure. When did they even come out? Was that later? I think a bit on? after this, yeah. Yeah, because these guys brought a sound that was like a mix of a lot of things, but done in a very in a way that like sounded very fresh, and they were a little tongue in cheek, and also had that kind of like sloppiness about them that seemed very rock and roll at the same time, so. People were really intrigued, and I remember this was just like a huge, like, stop the presses type of album. And I remember really liking it, and I remember being in England when these guys were still very popular and everyone worshiping them. And their songs coming on at clubs and everyone dancing to them. And then I just don't remember them after that. And when I listened to this record again, I was a little underwhelmed. Yeah, when this re- even when this record came out, it got a lot of buzz. But it, even then, it was derivative of things from two or three years earlier from other bands um, and bands that were not, you know, that were heralded in their own right. I was trying to think of it while we were listening to the Strokes record and then other music from this era, and. You know, some some eras have like a clear sort of genre that you can tag on them to like define the sound, whether it's post punk or grunge or you know Brit pop or something. And the the music of this time doesn't have any specific defining characteristics. I can't really it, like NME I mean, rock. I like, think I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean that's actually kind of a good way to do it. And then like the other spectrum was like. Uh, Oh, I thought of it, and then you said enemy rock, and I thought that was really good. Just like so everything buzzed about by NME magazine. At yeah, the time. and then but then things got like really dancey, like MGMT, yeah. and like you know, all everything off of DFA. Um, so there was a lot of like dance influenced rock happening too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with these guys, it was it's really interesting to revisit this because the whole time I was listening to this record. I just kept thinking I want to listen to Art Brute again. Hmm. I never liked them. Oh, come on. They were pretty funny. Really? Yeah, I didn't like it. I hate that guy's talk singing. I was pretty into that guy's talk singing. Yeah. But I I don't know. I feel like I found that more interesting, which is stupid because they're not <laughs> Art Brute is like really not that interesting, like they're a yeah. gimmick. So that was not a good sign. But maybe Maybe I just, they caught me on a bad night. It could have been. I mean, there's not, this isn't a bad record, but my take on it when it first came out uh, was was reconfirmed 10 years later on re-listening to it is that this record is really bizarrely split right down between the A and the B side. It has two totally different sounds, both derivative of other bands that had came very recently previous. Such as? The first whole half Wait, of the Chris, record. Stop. Such as. Such as. I'm, the bands. Yes, I'm saying. Oh. The first whole half of the record sounds just like Franz Ferdinand. It's like that kind of rigid, aggressive, white guy, dancey version of post-punk that was happening at this time. The whole B-side of the record sounds just like the Libertines. That sort of like scuzzy, like sloppy British rock. 
And they don't really have much in common at all, other than that they're both by this band and on this record. And when it came out, all the singles were off of the A-side. And because I didn't like Franz Ferdinand, I didn't care for it, but I loved the Libertines. And so all the songs I was into were on the B-side. And that seems to remain true on re-listening. I... But it still sounds like a kind of a schizophrenic record when played all the way through. I don't agree. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I do have very fond memories of I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. So that one kind of sticks with me. Right. But we'll see if it sticks with you guys. Um, we're going to start. Um, well, we'll play you that song in the set. Um, but we're going to start here with The View from the Afternoon by the Arctic Monkeys off of whatever people say I am and that's what I'm not uh, our second record from our throwback show on records released in January 10 years ago on the listening party so let's let's hit it
You're tuned into the listening party on BFF.fm. You just heard Fake Tales of San Francisco. Before that, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor and The View from the Afternoon, all off of the Arctic Monkeys 2006 debut, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not. Uh, Well, what I say you are is a hybrid of two bands who released albums uh, a few years before yours, and that's what you are. But, you know, not uh, the worst thing in the world you could be if you're a fan of of either of those styles. Uh, We kind of cut our set list for this record for you in half right down the middle so you could see the the division between them. But uh, you just heard all of the sort of kind of sharp staccato dance inflected tunes from the first side of the album. On the back half are the a little bit slower, more meandering, uh, more libertines-inspired sounding cuts. Um, so we've got several of those coming up for you. Uh, the first of which is Riot Van. So yeah, we'll play the second half of our Arctic Monkey set on this throwback version of The Listening Party on BFF.fm. So rolls a riot van and sparks excitement in the boys But the policemen look annoyed Perhaps these are ones they should avoid Got a chase last night from men with truncheons dressed in hats I didn't do that much wrong Still ran away though For the laugh Just for the laugh And please just stop talking Cause they won't find us if you do Oh, those silly boys in blue Well, they won't catch me and you Have you been drinking, son? You don't look old enough to me I'm sorry officer, is there a certain age you're supposed to be? Cause nobody told me And up rolls the riot van and these lads just wind the coppers up They ask why they don't catch proper crooks to get their address and their names took But he couldn't care less
half round and it's like looking down the barrel of a gun and it goes off. And how come all these words? Oh, there's a very pleasant side to you, a side I much prefer as one bits. Laughs and jokes around. Remember cuddles in the kitchen, yeah, to get things off the ground. And it was up, up and away. Oh, but it's rare to remember that on a day like today when you're all argumentative and you've got the face on. Remember cuddles in the kitchen, yeah, to get things off the ground. And it was up, up and away. Oh, but it's very hard to remember that on a day like today when you're all argumentative and you've got the face on. And yeah, I'm sorry I was late, but I missed the train and then the traffic was a state. And I can't be asked to carry on in this debate. She hats her on the streets She doesn't do major credit cards I doubt she does receipts It's all not quite legitimate And what a scummy man Just give him half a chance I bet he'll rob you if he can Can see it in his eyes, yeah That he's got a driving ban Amongst some other offences And I've seen him with girls of the night And he told Roxanne to put on her red light They're all infected but he'll be alright Cause he's a scumbag, don't you know I said he's a scumbag, don't you know Summer. What are the chances? Sure, it's more than likely. I've got. 
You're tuned into the listening party on BFF.fm. You just heard When the Sun Goes Down by the Arctic Monkeys on our throwback edition of the listening party. We are uh, playing records released in January 10 years ago. So whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not by the Arctic Monkeys is one of them. Uh, before that, you heard Marty Byrne and Riot Van in that short set that kind of represented the less aggressive uh, B-side of the Arctic Monkeys record. Mm-hmm. So we've picked uh, two related tracks for you, one uh, uh, indicative of, of the sound of the A and Which I di- I disagree the other of with. the B. You don't, you don't hear that, huh? No, literally not at all. Oh, I Franz Ferdinand was... 100%. No, I mean, like... That that intro to like I bet you look good on the dance floor was like some forty one level. Ooh. I mean, for, and I'm assuming that you didn't mean that as a, as a glowing compliment. No, I mean I didn't mean that as a diss. I just meant like it had a completely different vibe. Like you would never put like like punky macho with Franz Ferdinand, who in my opinion are extremely precise. And like dance forward, so I don't see the resemblance between Franz Ferdinand and Arctic really? Monkeys really? at all. Really, oh, yeah. I thought the whole first, the whole A side was that kind of dance music that music writers at the time, for lack of better terms, kept calling angular. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think it really had much to do with it, to be honest. Uh, mm. But I do see a, a Libertines-ish connection, connection, especially to that second side. Um, although not as shambolic, I would say that their first side, their A side were a little bit more rowdy than the second side. Um, but regardless, uh, it was all fun. And yeah. now we're going to, you didn't have fun during that side? I had, a, I had a pretty good time. I feel like the, the, the mu- we're finding out, and I guess we probably already knew, but the music of 2006 while uh, seeming impactful in 2006, has has failed to resonate 10 yes, years later. Yes, I would say that. Um, definitely not something I would want to put in a time machine. Yeah. 
But you know, we haven't, this is just January. What came out in February 2006? There's no, there's literally no way to know. There's, there's nothing that could tell us that. No, it would be impossible to deduce that. We'll never know if music got any better. Um, but we are going to play you to, uh, other seminal bands of this time period. Um, one that has not held up, but has continued to be, uh, name dropped as an indie favorite and one who recently released a new record and were highly praised in their home country for that. Um, first up, Franz Ferdinand with This Fire, and then Up the Bracket by the Libertines off of a uh, record by the same name on our throwback edition of The Listening Party on BFF.fm.
tuned into the listening party on bff.fm and if you are just joining us that was uh the libertines with the title track off of their debut album up the bracket before that franz ferdinand with this fire also off of their debut uh closing out the related tunes to the arctic monkeys whatever people say i am that's what i'm not and taking us to the third and final record of our reach back into the year 2006 see what music was going on 10 years ago in this very month uh, and brings us to a record that is not really at all like the first two um, the first two records we played the uh, strokes first impressions of earth and the debut from the arctic monkeys to me at least sound very much of 2006 very specifically of a particular time and seen um the latter record we have for you robert pollard's uh, solo album promptly released after uh, guided by voices break up uh from a compound eye doesn't really sound anything like uh any spe- any particular time to me uh it's it just sounds like music that he had been making under Guided by Voices, under his own name, under various other side project monikers uh, for many, many years, and as he would go on to do for many years afterwards. Kate, why don't you tell us something about your feelings about this record? Kate's trying to make me laugh in the corner right now. Uh, I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So let's start it right now. Gold yeah. is the first song you're going to hear on the listening party on BFF.fm. 
party on bff.fm best frequencies forever and you just heard light show indeed you did by robert pollard on our throwback edition of the listening party of records released in january of 2006 before that love is stronger than witchcraft i'm a widow the numbered head dancing and dancing girls and dancing men. oh there we go there. dancing girls and dancing men and gold all from 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 a compound eye uh, what Chris has written here, his eighth-ish solo record. Yeah, he. <laughs> so his, his eighth, roughly his eighth solo record. It's really hard to keep tabs on his on his discography because he has almost innumerable side projects and you know other releases and related kind of ephemera. Um, but as far as things attributed to his name alone. Uh, this is, I think, roughly the eighth, uh, but really the first that uh, exists as like a polished, proper, ready for prime time album, uh, and really came pretty hot on the heels of his announcement of uh, Guided by Voices breaking up for the for the first time. Um, I think it's. Uh, the sort of breakup that fans uh, have learned not to worry too much about because he will inevitably get bored and bring the back, brand back together with whatever members are still speaking to him and then break them up after a few more records and, and so on. Um, but as far as uh, his solo records go, this is definitely the most consistent, um, the most kind of fully realized, and even more so than a lot of the Guided by Voice records. It's uh, just a a whole album that works together as opposed to several extreme highs and then a lot of bizarre experiments and and things that uh, are questionable thrown thereabouts. Uh, I 
was not particularly moved by this record. Um, it is definitely one of those solo records that I would put like way behind the catalog of Understandable. Guided by Voices. It doesn't have the hits. It doesn't have like the real hooky peaks. Yeah. It just also doesn't have the lows. It sort of flattens out the wave. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate for me. Um, it just doesn't really like, yeah, it doesn't really peak anywhere. So uh, kind of a, kind of like a skimmed over record for me this week. Yeah, I think it's biggest, uh, maybe one of the reasons why it was, it was so uh, beloved, well, it was fairly beloved, I think, when it, when it was released, was that it uh, was a way to kind of reassure fans that uh, he wasn't going anywhere since the band that they loved had just broken up. Uh, and then he almost immediately thereafter dropped a full album of, uh, of new material. So people were just like, whew, that was close. Uh, and it was refreshing and reassuring. Um, you know, now we know that uh, releasing material will never be a, a problem with him. I think he's been dropping three or four albums a year ever since, and uh, not even including side projects galore. So it's really more of a problem of just holding back and putting out the good stuff. Well, we're going to close out the show with some related tracks, uh, one by Tobin Sprout and one by Violet Change. Do we think we're going to play all three? Let's see what we can do. Yeah, Tobin Sprout, uh, guitarist and sometimes songwriter of, of Guided by Voices, writer of some of their uh, some of their most loved tracks, in fact. Um, we're going to play uh, a track of his called Cryptic Shapes, and then something a bit more recent from Violent Change, a song, by, a song called Southern Agrarians, and should time allow, you will hear On Fire from Sebado's much-beloved Harmacy album. Stay tuned. Uh, Collective Cuddle is up next. And thanks for listening. We're back every Tuesday, 6 to 8. This is Cryptic Shakes by Tobin Sprout on the listening party on BFF.fm. <laughs>
I don't know.